0: Welcome to the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me wandering the wilds of the internet as Walsfio. Well I'm here today with Stephanie Fry. Hello! And we're going to be talking, well, uh, about a lot of stuff today. Uh, I want to let everybody know that, uh, hey, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2018. Hopefully it is exciting and fun for everybody. It's certainly going to be exciting and fun for us. Woohoo! And... Uh, We have lots of games to talk about and we have some grant stuff to talk about. So that will be that'll be entertaining, I hope. So, Stephanie, what have you got to talk about?
1: Uh, So I just wanted to go ahead and throw this out here. If you guys have seen our GSL blog, uh, we are looking for submissions to change things up. So if you've got anything you're especially excited about that's games and schools and libraries related, we would love it for the blog.
0: Right. Uh, so we've done a whole bunch of articles on Fiasco. So previously we mentioned our Fiasco playsets. So if you're interested in getting a hold of those, then go ahead and run on over to the blog and you can do a search. Uh, one of the, the tags that we gave it, of course, was Fiasco or Fiasco playsets. And Stephanie has been throwing the, hey, these are the games that you get for free with PS Plus or Xbox Gold has gone up there. So if you're wondering, hey, are these suitable for our teens or are they not? Uh, are they suitable for any of your various game activities? They'll have that information. And also, she's done some, uh, some special four-player game write-ups and stuff.
1: Right. So if you've got any ideas, like you guys ran role-playing games in your library and you want to tell us how it went, you guys have specific four-player games that are excellent that you use at schools and what their educational value is, we would love articles like that.
0: Anything that you have that you can talk about that you're excited about that relates somehow to games in schools or libraries, uh, you know, if you have pictures, then please be able to, you know, be ready to send those as well, though they're not always essential. I know that, you know, you can't always take pictures of kids in schools or libraries. Uh, But you can take pictures of the games you're playing or of your game collection. And and actually, that might be fun also if we could just have pictures of folks sharing, hey, this is the collection that we have at our location. Just something to get other folks excited about that might make uh, our other listeners or readers go, ooh, what do you use that game for? How is that suitable? Whatever it is you think would be of interest or that is of interest to you, because I guarantee you might think nobody wants to see this. Well, you're here listening to us. And frequently I go, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. So you might be surprised. <laughs> you might be surprised.
1: The submissions can be sent to sfrey at gtcounty.org.
0: Absolutely. So uh, you can either just send her a note saying, hey, I'd like to write about this. What are your thoughts? Or if you want to just write it up and send it over, she will edit it.
1: Yeah, I would love this.
0: <laughs> so that would be excellent. I guess if we're doing calls for submissions or interest... Uh, If you have an idea for something you'd like to share with our listeners, you can also join us here for this podcast. And as you may have heard in our previous episode, we have received a uh, library's ready to code grant. We're part of that cohort now. And we will be putting in segments here on this, on this podcast that relate to our ready to code activities. So we will try and keep them as game focused as possible. um, But we will probably have some guests on who are really more about just the coding aspect and the computational thinking aspect. Uh, But I think all of that sort of goes with sort of the integrated learning of using a variety of games and all that. So I think that will still be useful and relevant. Um, And we will tag all of the entries in, in the feed here for that. And I don't know, we may start a second blog or we may put articles directly into the games and schools and libraries blog. That's yet to be determined, but so look for the control alt decode tag or RTC tag for future episodes if you're specifically here to find out more about, uh, you know, ready to code computational thinking and, and coding stuff. And speaking of which, what have we been doing for the ready to code cohort?
1: Lots of coding games.
0: Lots of coding games. Now, I do need to say that anything we talk about relating to the ready to code stuff is our personal thoughts and feelings. It has nothing to do with anything official with ready to code. It's just Stephanie and I talking about what we've encountered or what we've done. So, what 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 were we doing really related to computational thinking or coding uh, before we even applied for the grant?
1: So, before we get into all that, we should talk about, real quick, what computational thinking is.
0: Right. And uh, our previous episode, we did that, but we should probably summarize uh, for people who are listening and joining us for this one.
1: What computational thinking is, is it's when you have a problem And then you break that problem down into solvable chunks so that later you could explain to either a human or a machine how to go about solving that problem with what all you figured out.
0: Right. When you're talking, you know, programming and and computing, of course, you have to break it down into incredibly small increments to, to make it happen. And when you're dealing with people, there might be some assumed knowledge, but you're trying to get as much of that out of the way to... To give a good explanation for what's happening.
1: Right. Um, which, writing rule books has a lot of that.
0: Oh, yeah. Which we've done.
1: Yes. Because um, we did that in our board game design camp.
0: We did board game design and we taught folks how to play role playing games or even GM games.
1: Yes. We also did escape room design.
0: Right. Oh, that was very exciting. Uh, you that know, was fun. Learning, getting the our, our young patrons very excited about going through and playing escape rooms was, well, of course, we've done a previous episode on that, but I, I don't think there's something that's much more in this vein than, than escape room design and board game design.
1: We also had the CS first classes that we did.
0: Okay. Maybe that. I think. <laughs> right. So yes, we did CS first. Uh, we also taught folks how to make web pages and how to design apps for mobile devices and so, our library, at least this branch specifically, and our main branch, have sort of a rich history of of, of encouraging this kind of thought. And our huge board game, game collection, I think, reflects that. Which is not something that we expected people to agree with us when we said this up front.
1: Yeah. Oh, and we can't forget that we did the uh, video game design with Unity and...
0: Oh, that's right. Unity and RPG Maker. Yep. Um. So... Yes, we have had a lot of fun with, uh, what I now know are computational thinking exercises because, because that's not what we were thinking about when we started, right? It was, Hey, let's teach them this skill. And I think if you step back, all right, uh, some of our listeners may or may not be familiar with Alton Brown, who is one of my favorite cooking TV show people of, of all time. He, uh, he will teach you a recipe, but when he's teaching the recipe, he teaches why you are doing a specific thing. He's mm-hmm. like, here's what Browning is. The Maillard effect. Here's what, um, the Muffet method is. And here's why it's. And so really what he's doing is he's tying together all of these variety of elements. And what I see a lot of what we were doing previously is, Hey, we are teaching our patrons how to do a given thing instead of approaching it from a larger perspective, uh, uh, you know, you're learning how to do this, you're learning Scratch, and it's not teaching you a language, it's teaching you how languages are structured, computer languages are structured, which we did some of, but now that we're part of the computational thinking group, the the cohort, the ready-to-code cohort, it's making making it easier for me to see how all of our programs fit into this overall activity.
1: Right. I feel like there's so much of it that we already do that is computational thinking that we kind of don't realize it is until we stop and think about it, such as how a lot of times we try to teach our younger patrons to teach games.
0: Oh, yes. And, and that's a big deal because uh, we have uh, some of our patrons get very excited about a game and then they try and teach their friends and they're not very good at it. At, right. At teaching. They might be good at the game, but that's not the same as being good at teaching it. Uh, or they teach it and then they simply shellack the people they're playing. They 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 brutalize them in the game. And with Magic the Gathering, this happened a lot. Yes. And so we had to tell them, look, if you want to teach them how to play and you want people to get good enough that they're enjoying playing against you so that you have someone to play against, here's the steps for that. Like, But I don't want to throw the game. Don't throw the game then. Give yourself a worst Magic deck and then try and beat them with that because then at least it's a challenge for you. Right. And in some of these games, it's not a challenge to beat people if they are learning the game and you just taught it to them and you've played it before. I know it's a little off topic, but...
1: No, it's not, because I was just realizing that if you think about it, a magic deck, you can kind of think in a programming sort of way, if that your hand of cards are lines of code.
0: Yes, and okay, the weird thing, and, and this sort of struck me when I was talking to Jeff, I'm sorry, Mr. Inglestein in the previous episode was that a computer programmer rarely has a limit on how many left turns or how many fireballs or whatever it is that you can you can put into a process, right? That's very true. However, you go, well, wait a minute. This computer program that I've designed is requires far more power than the computer itself has. Uh-huh. So you can say, oh, I can't fill my whole deck up with fireballs because it would melt the computer down and not not be able to perform the activity. So right. you can present this gaming issue to the player. Say, look, these are the number of processes that your computer can support. Mm-hmm. This is how much of this good stuff you can put in there. Right. Um, uh, but you have to address different problems or it's not going to be a functioning program. And I'm not saying Magic the Gathering is the ultimate computational thinking kind of activity or game, but you can always sort of turn the problem on its head. You know, it's sort of the inverse genius way of looking at things is we want to look at things in a different way. Right. So if you can take just about any kind of activity and say, now how does this fit what we're wanting it to do? So you may find in sort of a connected learning sort of way that any given activity that you like to do, that you can sort of turn it back into this computational thinking activity. Now, there are some that won't work. And probably the younger you get, the more difficult it will be to sort of bend it back in that direction. Mm -hmm. And yes, obviously when you're playing games, there are artificial constraints that don't exist maybe in real life, but you'll find real life has other artificial constraints like budget, processing power, et cetera, et cetera.
1: That's true. That's very true.
0: Well, okay. So what have we been doing since we received the grant besides panicking?
1: Yes. Besides panicking, um, we started getting more of our coding games out. So, like, some of our Think Fun. um,
0: Yeah, the Slash Slash Code Games.
1: Yes, the Slash Slash Code Games, which are kind of more puzzle than board game, but they're fantastic. And at first, the kids didn't really take to them.
0: Well, and by first, you mean one day. One day. Yes. The first day we got them, they weren't real excited.
1: Yeah, they weren't really excited until we threw up a leaderboard that basically had the kid's name on it, and then... Um, what the highest challenge level they'd gotten up to was. And then they all got really excited to beat each other out on the challenge levels.
0: Nice. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty interesting to come in and see that uh, instead of having them be on the back table in the far corner of the room, that they'd moved up to our large weird shape table and there were names and, and kids saying, Oh, let's play this. Let's do that. And, and you even had, we had three copies of the games that Think Fun sent us. And you had to get out one that we had purchased for a previous grant.
1: Right. I did because I had this girl come up and she was like, are there any other ones since all of your other ones are full? And so I remembered that we had the Codemasters one and I pulled that out and I'm like, okay, well, however high you get, that's that's your high score. And then somebody that's, You will have that. the first
0: high score in on that one. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Because the original high scores were how high Donald and I played. Yes. And the kids were so excited to beat us out at that.
0: <laughs> uh, it's probably a good thing they weren't timed, you know, because some of those took me a while.
1: Oh, yeah. I, they took them a while, too. But it, it was amazing to see how persistent they were with the whole, like, one of them would beat a level and they'd stop because they're like, oh, well, I'm the highest now, so I'm just going to stop here. And hmm. then their friend would come over and then do the next level and then stop. And it just kept repeating like that.
0: Like it should, right?
1: Right. So.
0: Yeah, and so that that was very exciting to see. We've also done, oh, lots of meetings. We have yes. a weekly teleconference that we have jumped on with the Ready to Code cohort. Uh, they have had a variety of presenters come on and talk about some interesting stuff. And, and I really like sort of the format that, that they're trying to establish with it. Uh, I think the two things that I would prefer is... If they made sure it wasn't happening when the children were getting off of school and coming into the rooms, yeah, so that we could pay attention, and the other is that if they sort of led with a "This is why this is important," or this is the cool things here are the kinds of things we want you to look for, so that you can take them away during the presentation, because uh it seems like we show up and there's not enough. Not enough to tell us what to pay attention to, but
1: and there is a lot of information dropped during those meetings.
0: And there is, and some of them are great, and like all meetings, not all of them are great, but um, or not all of each meeting is is necessarily relevant for all folks because they're doing some stuff for the people showing up to ALA Midwinter and talking about that, which I don't get to go to. But
1: woohoo, Denver, here I come!
0: <laughs> if, if you're going to be at the ALA Midwinter. Find Stephanie and say hi. Let us know if you're listening to the show what, what you want to hear more of. We may or may not send her out with a recording device so that she can get something with you. But on the other hand. Um,
1: I'll make sure to make room in my luggage.
0: She may instead be, you know, out skiing when nobody's looking. All right, we'll see. Shh. Uh, is that the sound of you going down the slopes in the snow?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. So, we'll see what happens with that, and hopefully we'll get uh, lots of new information regarding the ready-to-go stuff.
1: We also, during holidays, did a holiday escape room.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, with all the uh, the trappings of, of the, your favorite holidays. We right,
1: hope. there were even presents. Uh,
0: yes, but you didn't let me unwrap any of them.
1: That's because I would have had to wrap them for every single run, and no. I'm uh, okay with that. No, I'm not okay with that.
0: <laughs> and in fact, uh, not only did we run it here, we took it to our staff holiday party, and uh, we left it at the other library so that one of our other teen tech assistants could uh, could run it there for his folks. And he's apparently run it like seven or eight times at this point.
1: Oh, my goodness. That's that's exciting to hear.
0: And so, yes. Uh, so, we did that. Also, um, we have scheduled out that we're going to do a staff training with uh, all the teen tech people, and hopefully the branch managers, uh, sometime towards the end of January. We're getting but the gang together. We are getting the gang together. But there's something for you as well if you're interested. You may have heard our ShushCon advertisements previously. And if not, you may hear one uh, here shortly. ShushCon is the convention we run. And this year it's March 23rd, 24th, and 25th. On that Friday, the first half of the day, we are doing another library and trade day. And it's going to deal with computational thinking games, coding games, and activities that you can run in your library.
1: Oh, exciting! I cannot wait.
0: And so, if you are looking for an excuse to come to a gaming convention at a library that you can perhaps tell uh, your bosses about, um, and say, "Hey, I need off for this event," or you know, "I need you to send me to this event," then the Hampton ends within walking distance. So I recommend it. That's the ShushCon Library Trade Day. It's also good for non-librarians. We're hoping to get some museum folks to come in as well, and as well as some out-of-school workers uh, for either after-school or before-school programs to come in and and see what we've got to offer. Because there's a whole lot, coding-wise, that, well, you guys know because we've been talking about. Right. Well, I guess it's time for reviews. And since... We've been talking about our coding activities, and I mentioned on a previous episode that we were going to talk about ThinkFun slash slash code stuff. Why don't we do that now?
1: Excellent. So we have three of them.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, four of them if you count Codemasters, but we don't right now.
1: Right. So we have On the Brink, where...
0: On the Brink is the first of the three, and it is, I believe, the simplest of the three for a certain value of simple.
1: Right. You're programming a robot to end up at a certain point and to do that you're using color basically so you have this uh, this command prompt in front of you that you can insert cards into um and when your robot is on that color it will execute those commands so right.
0: it's like that's it triggers that loop
1: right and so it's interesting to see this sort of if then loops being used because so often you just you'll just do the cards in most games I've seen instead of like oh well this is based on color
0: right yeah if you talk about robot rally it's oh I've got these cards that are have gone into my registers so I'm going to flip them over and that's going to happen in that order in this case you may skip over the first two of your colored coded loops and just do the third one. Because you happen to not be on either the first two colors, uh, but you are in the third one.
1: Right. Um, I love this one. It's really good. And it's just, it's, it's really interesting. All of their puzzle games are.
0: Right, right. And we, I think we do have to refer to them as puzzle games because they are more puzzle than game, but we've gamed them here. So hooray.
1: Right. I know that one was really popular, like immediately, as soon as we started doing the high score stuff.
0: Right. And, and so that like all of these, there's a whole selection of them. There's a book that has all the puzzles in them. So we'll just say that right now, all the slash slash code stuff from Think Fun, they like they do. They start you at beginning level. They work your way up. Uh, you may not have to do all of the beginning level ones before you are ready to go up to the next level. If you're sort of familiar with this type of thing, but I, I recommend you go through and that you at least do all the ones where they introduce something new. Mm hmm. Right. Because there's, you know, hey, there's, here's a new, and then here's a couple of mastery puzzles. Here's a new thing. Here's a couple of puzzles that use those things. So, um, if you are very experienced or you have older kids, you can say, look, do the first one so you understand how it works.
1: Kind of like a tutorial level.
0: Right. Uh, and then move them up the way. And so, yep, that's, that's on the brink. And I, I think on the brink is a, if you're going to start with it, start with that one. So the next one is rover control, right?
1: Right. Uh, This one reminds me of the Codemasters one, in a way. Yes. It's just instead you, it's neat because it comes with markers. So you're still making paths. It's just you're drawing and coloring in those paths, basically.
0: Yep. So the way that you do that one is the, the card comes up and it says, here's the path that you have to take.
1: Right. You need to take a red, green, red path from this spot to this spot
0: but all the paths are start off white except for the ones that they tell you to color in. Right. And so then you're trying to basically figure out what the path would be to get from point to point. Um, And that by doing that, then uh, you will eventually end up at your destination or, uh, you know, it may have you go back to where you started and then go off of that place again. You know, so as you go, it gets more and more difficult. Uh, But the thing is, is you are drawing on the board as you're saying, Oh, I'm going to make this one red. Now I can't put a red one next to that, so that's going to make it more difficult for my next path.
1: Or like, oh, I need to go back over this road, but now because it's red, you know, I can't use it as a green path.
0: And so then you have to start, erase them all except for the starting roads and then start over.
1: Right. So it adds these if-then statements such as like, if you have this many, I believe they're soil samples, then you'll take this path. If not, then you'll do this one and all, all sorts of sort of objectives like that.
0: Right. So basically, you have to figure out how to get from there back to a specific place where it tells you to get. And then you need it to be able to repeat that loop over and over again, then to possibly shoot you off in another direction to get to the final, uh, to the final solution for the puzzle.
1: Right. Or you'll just have spots where it's like, okay, you have to stop at this checkpoint, which is this spot on the map.
0: Right. And yeah. So that's, that's rover repair. And once again, these are all slash, slash code from think fun. Uh, And so I like it. I think it's probably, it's probably the one that, that appeals to my way of problem solving out of all of them the most. Though I haven't gotten all the way through it. So who knows? We'll figure out which one I can finish first and, and then I'll let, I'll let every listener know where I get caught.
1: I think the one that I'm going to finish first is the robot repair.
0: Oh, yeah. That one's, that one's interesting. It's got more tokens that you will flip out and put on the board and, and do stuff with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't you let our listeners know, what is robot repair?
1: So, robot repair, so it tells you how many power sources you have to put on the grid. And when you put power sources down, it will turn on the circuits that are next to it. And you have a piece of paper basically telling you that, okay, this circuit, this circuit, and this circuit need to be on. Or these two circuits need to be on, but this one has to be off. And it gradually gets more complex into, okay, at least one of these circuits has to be on or off. So a- at least one of these items must be true.
0: Right, right, right. And when we were discussing before we were recording, uh, I sort of came to the realization that it's sort of like, here's how you seat your nobles uh, You know, in a given game. It's like, oh, we can't have the Queen of England sitting next to uh, you know, the head of this various terrorist organization or, or what have you.
1: Right. It's a deductive game, and I think that's what I love so much about it.
0: Right. Uh, Now, I was kind of surprised that they didn't have any instances where you need – at least, of course, I haven't gotten all the way through it yet – where this circuit needs twice as much power, right? It's like you need to make sure that that this place needs to be powered twice instead of just once. Uh But that might be a thing that that comes up later. Uh, There's a whole lot that I think with all of these that they could say, oh, and now here's a new book of, you know, 10 puzzles for each one of these games – And it's good for all three games.
1: So like expansion packs. Yeah, so they
0: could do, here's an expansion game for all our expansion pack for all three of our slash slash codes. You know, or individually.
1: That'd be fantastic.
0: And you could also make your own puzzles because you've got everything that you need to uh, create whatever puzzles you need right there. If you just have a blank piece of paper, you can easily say, oh, here's the board you're using. Here's all the stuff that you need and and create your own puzzles if you get bored with the, the gazillion puzzles they include in each one.
1: You could even have the kids, like, make puzzles and challenge each other to solve them.
0: Well, that sounds particularly computational. That does. (laughs)
1: Well, all right. Uh, Well,
0: I I guess if we're talking about, you know, programming games and and whatnot, uh, then we should probably, normally we save our bigger games for the end of the episode, but I really want to talk about Mechs and Minions for a little bit.
1: (gasps) Oh, that one's so good.
0: Which I think I may have mentioned on another recent show. Um, but if you go to search it online, you can only purchase it online. You can't purchase it at a store, and it's $70. And if what you're looking for is a game that has beautiful, beautiful table presence that is sort of going to be that jewel in the crown of your computational thinking, uh, isn't this cool sort of activity, then this is a up-to-four-player cooperative game so as we mentioned in the previous episode, cooperative games are great because you can hear the computational thinking happen because they have to talk to each other, um, where you have your gnomes on robots running around uh, beating up minions who are obviously up to no good. Um, and yeah, so that's Mechs versus Minions.
1: Oh, it's so pretty.
0: What What are your thoughts on it?
1: It's fantastic. It's neat because it does the sort of command line, but like you said, in a cooperative way, that's a lot of fun. So generally, like, each of the kids will be like, well, I'm going to be the one who pushes this to the objective um, and you fight off the stuff. And so everybody is putting these cards down on their command line to make the best code to do whatever it is they've decided that they need to do in order to do this objective.
0: Yeah. And what I found very interesting about that is unlike many games where when you are putting out program movement games, rather, where you're putting out the code. Uh, you're not replacing things whenever you put code down. In fact, it's it's entirely possible you will be powering up or changing that kind of move to, to make it more powerful if you're playing the same color of card in that same slot. So you're going to get extra ability from doing that sort of thing.
1: And that is the neatest thing. I think I love that the most about it.
0: And the miniatures are amazing. Um, you can have them set out. And the storage of it is great because it's sort of kit-like where... You can pull it out and you go, oh, there's stuff missing, or oh, everything we need is here. So if you do circulate games, even though it is a big and a pricey one, um, it will be one that is relatively easy to to check back in and bring back. But I would still have to say that uh, it's one you should set up in your library and say, look, we have games.
1: Right, and the the indentions in it are really good about like, oh, this is what goes here.
0: Oh, right, yeah. When you're putting the pieces away, it's like this model goes in this place. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, Mechs and Minions. And it is created by a software company, uh, who does video games.
1: The guys behind League of Legends, right?
0: Right. I believe that is League of Legends. Uh, so <laughs> if you've got folks who are already playing League of Legends in your library or school, then it is perhaps, uh, you know, another great sidestep to, uh, to getting them into some tabletop games. If that's what you're interested in. Yeah. I, I can't really say, say enough about this. I hope there are more scenarios that come out. Uh, for it but even if not what's in the box is plenty. Mm-hmm. And I guess we got so carried away with talking about the games that we we didn't light them up. So Stephanie what are your lights for the uh, for the code games and for Mechs and Minions?
1: Oh these these are green lights all the way. They're fantastic. They really present computational thinking and sort of this coding programming in a very fun light without being too obviously educational.
0: Well, I, I, think the code stuff is pretty obviously well, educational. It, yeah.
1: But uh, it's still, it's still interesting and fun to play.
0: Which makes it very different from, uh, many educational games. Right. Um, and of course, Mechs and Minions, Green Light for me as well. Both of them are, you know, both the, the code games and, and Mechs and Minions, Green, Green, Green. Uh, so let's talk about uh, some games that come in green boxes now. And they are uh, a trilogy of games from our friends over at Stronghold Games.
1: Is it Friedman Freeze Time?
0: It is Friedman Freestime, because it's freezing outside. Oh. Uh, well, maybe not. Because of that, um, because that'd be blue then, not, uh, uh, who cares? So, uh, this is the fast forward series of games that Stronghold Games sent us. Um, oh, uh, just, just for propriety's sake, we purchased Mechs and Minions for the library. The code, code games were sent to us by ThinkFun. But, so, the fast forward games are Flea, Fortress, and Fear, and we're gonna talk about them in exactly the opposite order. So before we get into what each game is like I- individually, what's sort of the theme of this series of games or the, uh, the or the cool bit about this series of games?
1: So the cool bit about the series of game is that you play them right out of the box. You don't really stop and read the instruction manual because as you pull from the deck it teaches you how to play, which is really fantastic.
0: Because there is no instruction manual.
1: Oh, that's right, there isn't.
0: <laughs> so but yes, uh, so that's the that's the cool gimmick. If you are looking for games that you can hand somebody and say, oh, look, this game teaches itself to you, you will read a card, you will draw cards, you will start playing, um, and then as you get to points in the deck, it will give you more cards that will give you more rules. Um, if you play it over multiple sessions, you will continue to mill down through those decks and get deeper and deeper into the decks. Some will be removed from the game entirely. Uh, and put in the box for when somebody else restarts the game, because nothing is destroyed. It is not a legacy game. Get that thought out of your head. And then, um, by the time you get to the end of the deck, you will have learned all of the ways that you play that specific game. Which is amazing, because it didn't take me, but even three minutes to sort of, oh, here's how we're starting. I don't have to read or learn how to play the game. It is going to teach itself to us. Yay.
1: Right, so you can just whip it out and just be like, all right, let's go, which makes it fantastic. Fantastic for circulation.
0: I'm thinking it is going to be probably my pick for 2017's most circulatable game series right there. That's it. It's also a great game that if you're at a school and you have kids like, well, I finished this thing. Can I play a game? You can hand them that and send them off to a corner and they can play it without destroying anything. Um, I don't know if teachers do that, but if I were a teacher, I would probably do that or get in trouble trying to do that. Um, So... Yeah, the Fast Forward series is is that interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. Just the
0: whole concept of having it teach itself to you. Uh, So let's start with uh, uh, Fear. What is Fear?
1: So Fear is a game where you're playing down cards and adding them up to get a number. The thing is, if the cards add up to 15 or...
0: To more than 15. To more
1: than 15, then you lose.
0: It is basically passive aggressive, the game. In, in which you're trying to not do anything and make the other people shoot up over that value. It's kind of like blackjack, playing cooperative blackjack. Yeah. Um, and, and just wanting to not bust.
1: Right. And it's interesting because you'll be throwing cards down that end up taking cards out. Um.
0: Right. It'll remove games from the deck for future playthroughs, um, of that series of, of games.
1: The other catch though is that, the person who wins is going to be the person who has the highest value in their hand. Mm. So you're simultaneously trying to not bust while keeping like fairly high cards in your hand so that whoever does bust, hopefully not you cross your fingers, you'll win.
0: Right. I was, I was very successful at never losing. I mean, by the time we got through the deck, I did lose, I'm sure several times, but, My not losing ratio was, I think, better than yours and Josh's. Yes. But my winning ratio, I don't know if it was any better than either one of yours or not.
1: I have no idea. We didn't keep score.
0: Right. And I think that this game is neat just to play and -hmm. to start working your way through it. And once you've played it, you can keep all of the rule cards out, just shuffle the deck and play it and you're good to go. All right. So it's then a game. Congratulations. You know the game. Right. Or you can renumber all the cards, put them back in order and work your way through the deck a lot of um so there's a lot of ability to pass it on to other people so that they can continue the the tradition of hey learn this game while you play it mm-hmm. um
1: and it is really exciting to work your way through that deck because you're like what else is here what new things am i going to find
0: there is a sense of discovery that um that i found very interesting uh, so yeah i i recommend fear as Uh, You know, sort of a neat experiment in games, and and like I said, this series is one that you want to get, you know, probably all three, but definitely uh, a flea as a green light. How about you? You got got a green light on that one?
1: Oh, yeah. That's a green light for me. I think that was actually my favorite of the three.
0: Uh, Okay. Um, So, the next one um, was Fortress, which, for reasons not to be disclosed on this podcast, is probably my favorite of the three.
1: Oh, I did horrible on this
0: one. (laughs) And so, Fortress, instead of being a cooperative, uh, spiteful blackjack, um, Fortress is kind of like war, where you there are little Fortresses that go in the center of the board, um, and there's one to start the game with, and then there will be more that appear the deeper you get into the deck, and sometimes they'll be destroyed and taken out of the game, which didn't actually happen to us, strangely no, enough.
1: that didn't happen to us at all. I think it's because... So in the game, you're basically drawing monsters and trying to build up until you're kind of ready to take the fortresses. And we always tried to build up in such a way that either it was under or it was over. We were always trying to not even out and destroy the fortress.
0: I wasn't paying attention to that. I I wasn't trying to do anything except for win. Yeah. And at that point... I think I was reasonably successful.
1: Well, which is why I think normally we just went over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which would mean we wouldn't destroy the fortresses.
0: Um, and so it was, it had sort of that same curve where you would get in like some high cards that would appear and then some cards would be taken out of the game every game, uh, you know, where there was a good churn of cards that were being removed. And, you know, the bigger the sets of monsters, the more they were probably worth. But the higher valued monsters would only do smaller sets. Right. Uh, There were some special power cards where things would happen. And it's, like I said, I think it's a great replacement for like a war style of game. Or if you have folks who are really more into direct confrontation instead of,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, it's aggressive-aggressive instead of passive-aggressive. Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, I really, really liked both. Uh, of Flea and... Uh, I'm sorry, for uh, Fear and Fortress. Um, so both of those get a green light for me. I recommend it. And once again, you can pick it up and play it right away. Uh, then we get to Flea, which is a little... Well, we'll say a little more gamerly, right? It's for people who are into games, I think, more than the other two. Yeah. Uh, do you want to dive in and explain this or should I try
1: and do that? So, in this one, one of the players is going to have a monster. And... If you start the turn, if that player starts the turn and has the monster, then all of you lose.
0: Because it's a cooperative game.
1: Right. And so everybody is going to have a card in their hand that will do something, and you're trying to use those cards to either keep it from being the person with the monster's turn, or to swap the monster over maybe to themselves, since... They've already started their turn. It won't lose them the game. Just all kinds of strategies to keep, you know, from losing to this monster.
0: Right. And so we had sort of a strange situation when we were playing the games. One of the guys who was playing ended up being the person who missed a lot of turns or only had one option of stuff to do on his actual turn. And he hated the game. Yeah. All right. One of the other persons who played it just really didn't care for it that much. And I think that that and the fact that you didn't seem to be removing cards from the game as quickly, if at all, like you did in the other two games. So we weren't changing up our play experience all that much. Right. Uh, It really more felt like Groundhog Day the game, where you were trying to make it through to the end without losing the game. Mm -hmm. And so, like you are retreading over specific games. Now, on the other hand, it is basically the definition of computational thinking the game. Yes. All right. It is, how do we address this problem? We're going to work it through as a group. It's going to be out loud. So, the people listening, if you you have to watch and get um, observable anecdotes for what's going on in your room, it's great for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it is probably the most difficult of all – well, it's definitely out of these three the most difficult to play – I can't, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm able to give it a light at this point because I want to get all the way through it um, and then see what happens on the play after that. If you know what I mean.
1: I know what you mean, yeah.
0: So right now, it's kind of yellow light for my game experience with it, but I don't think that that necessarily reflects the thing. But if you're dealing, this is definitely the one I think is for older kids or people who are really into games. Are folks who really like, you know, very thinky sort of cooperative games.
1: Yeah. I think right now it's a yellow light for me too, for a lot of the same reasons. I, I think the other reason why I'm not as fond of this one is I really liked, you know, the excitement of seeing what was new and next in the deck. And sort of re-going through all of the stuff we already had done just kind of... It felt a little I didn't flat. enjoy it. Yeah, that that fell flat as compared to everything else. So I was a little bit surprised because I thought, you know, fear would be the one I liked the least, but it ended up being the one I liked the most.
0: And, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. I, I When when I first saw them, I thought that, that Flea was going to be my favorite of a lot.
1: Oh, yeah. I thought Fortress was going to be my favorite. Huh.
0: Okay. Interesting. Uh, so I'd like to thank, once again, Stronghold for sending those to us. If you want to hear uh Eric and myself talk a little bit more about these in a non-library related way. We covered it recently in an Onboard Games episode, our first episode of 2018. Um, so you can go check that out. Uh But I think we should move on to our next game.
1: Okay, so we're going to talk about some love.
0: The Fog of Love. I thought we were going to save this one for the February episode because you know, Fog of Love sounds like it's the perfect Valentine's Day game and it, and it may actually be.
1: It really is the perfect Valentine's Day, but we are, we're talking about self-teaching games, so...
0: We, we are right now, yeah. So. Yeah,
1: so this is a good one for that.
0: Okay, so Fog of Love is a game for two players that takes over an hour to play.
1: Right. You basically go on a fantasy date and then sort of play out the fantasy date.
0: Right, so you have your own little mini-campaign where you are playing through, trying to solve the problems, or, or you've basically got a week of, of dates that you're going to go on.
1: Right. I think the first one is Sunday morning date. It's like you guys met at a party and things went well. So you're like, let's go on a date tomorrow.
0: Right. And so, but the whole reason why we're talking about Fog of Love and quite honestly, it may not be appropriate for a working collection in your library if you're playing the games there at your library.
1: I think it could be made to work just by taking out like a couple of cards.
0: But I think it really would shine in a in a circulating collection, but the big problem would be resetting the game up so that somebody who hasn't played it right before can go through the steps because there are like seven decks of cards in here, each of which have a numbered cards on top of them that sort of teach you how to use those cards. So they broke up the rule book and put it in the appropriate places to teach you how to do that. Yeah. But then there is a rule book in the game, so I think it will have the coherent rules that if you need to look up something with a question or what have you, and it has the best packaging of any game since Mechs and Minions.
1: Oh, it's beautiful.
0: Yep. It is, it is very well made. There's the box insert. It's a box sleeve that goes over the, over the thing that holds all the bits. So you're not going to be walking around and have the lid fall off at any time.
1: And you got like these nice wood chips in this nice little plastic case. You've R- got these like nice poker chips for all the decision votes.
0: But it's two players, and it takes over an hour. Yes, <laughs> I think that's that's. I keep coming back to that as to why do we have this? I'm like, oh wait, we don't have this. I have this. So Yeah. Uh, so the thing is, is that basically each of you will have a character that gets generated as you before you start playing, which the other person sort of helps you generate. So I've created my actor, right? And
1: oh yeah, you were a TV host.
0: I was a TV, yeah, TV personality, and you have created a thug. Uh, <laughs> some kind of criminal who was first attracted to me because of my glasses. Yes. And, uh, mine was, uh, hey, as you were stealing that thing, you looked awfully strong, you know, or whatever it was. Was it my
1: strong arms? It was
0: your strong arms, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we each have three goals that we're trying to get, three or four goals that we're trying to get for our specific character. And then eventually we have an in-game agenda that we want to do. And over the course of like four seasons of this sitcom, we will go through a bunch of dates and explain, oh, well, I got you these kind of flowers. You're like, oh, but I wanted roses. You know, or whatever it was.
1: But I got you the fancy tulips.
0: Yeah, so uh, there's all... <sighs> yeah, I'm going to recommend that uh, you 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 don't buy this for your library or your school. But it, if, if you've got the need for some self-teaching games... Um, you know, or or whatnot, then then it might be interesting. It has some content issues, I think. Also, it's it's not bad. Nothing's explicit, um, you know. But if you want to be answering questions about breakfast in bed at your uh, game night, then then go ahead.
1: And and to be fair, you could just take some of those cards out yeah. because I, I think there's a card that actually says like erotic movie on it, and it wouldn't disrupt the game if you just went or just oh, take a pen and there. change it
0: so it says exotic movie and,
1: exotic. And,
0: oh, there you go. <laughs> Um, and the other thing is it comes with a couple of booster packs in it that will expand your gameplay. Um, and so in, in all, I really liked it for playing and it would be a shame to leave it out of any discussion of, of games that teach themselves how to play or teach you how to play them.
1: Because it does it well. It's just, it's a lot to reset.
0: Right. So for me personally, green light for schools and libraries, unless you have someone who will gladly go through and rebuild the decks every time. Uh, for a fresh checkout, uh, yellow light, even red light, somewhere in that area.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty much the same for me. I think you could probably get away with, though, maybe modding some of the reset stuff if you really wanted to circulate it.
0: Right, yeah, if you had the bags that say, put these in there.
1: Right, if you had some kind of custom card setup, if yeah. you're like super diehard about, I want this in our collection... But, I mean, if you have a, a game collection going on anyway, they well, could just read the rules or, you know, watch videos online.
0: This would be great, I think, for a college library.
1: Yes, actually. That would be really good for college library.
0: Something along those lines um, that, uh, because if you've got uh, folks who are, to, and it, oh, and so it's non-gender specific. You can play either a guy or a girl for both of your things. So it's very sensitive to all the modern day issues um, in such a way that I thought, it was tasteful and well done. so hooray for that mm-hmm. um, You know, it's something that you can choose to ignore or something you can choose to explore.
1: It's neat too because I feel like the the whole game content stuff is pretty fascinating too. It doesn't super simplify all the love stuff. It's like, hey, you're dealing with this other person, you're going to have disagreements, and you guys are going to have secret agendas because of your personalities and stuff. Right.
0: Yeah, it's not not really an agenda so much as a, this is what's going to fulfill you.
1: Right, like you and I were having trouble with, uh, you were super sincere and I was super insincere.
0: Right, and they were both joint goals because the goals in the center of the table are the the aspects in, that you play for what's important to you is they can be joint or individual
1: right so some of them it's just like your tally
0: right if I had played one that says I just have to be really honest because I suck at dishonesty in relationships whatever it is and you're like oh I'm a thief and a scoundrel and I'm okay with that then I think we actually would have been fine oh yeah but for some reason is that we both had to really be truthful mm-hmm. or what have you sincere so yeah, yeah it's it, there's a lot to, lot to unpack in this game
1: there really is
0: And and so, yeah, Fog of Love, um, this isn't really where I send people for my reviews for games that you would like to play, but if it sounds interesting, or you can think of a way that you would like to teach it, or like to use it, you know, if you teach game design, if you're a school that has any game design classes.
1: Oh, that would be good.
0: This is also a great game to get for that, just like 404 was. Mm -hmm. Oh, we need to do some 404 stuff eventually for for this. We do. All right. So, but moving on, I think we've given our ratings on that. Oh, Foggle of what's sent to us by the company, or sent to me by the company. But I, I have a couple of games that I picked up my own self that, um, are part of a series of games that I love, but I hated these. We're just gonna get that right out now. Uh, Codenames Disney and Codenames Marvel.
1: Oh, that's right. Uh,
0: not so much that I hated them as they were a sad, sad disappointment.
1: It's just they're, they're too specific.
0: Well, what is Codenames?
1: Um, so Codenames is a game where You're divided up into teams and your team leader is giving you a single word and a number which tells you about the cards on the table. So you've got cards laid out on the table. And some of the cards are your team's cards and some of the cards are your other team's cards. And you have to use the clue that your team leader has given you to pick the right cards.
0: But don't pick the bad card.
1: Right. Because there's a card out there that will lose you the game. But there's also some cards that have no effect.
0: And cards that belong to the other team.
1: Right. So the thing is, like, if you have, you know, maybe the word parrot and shark and whatever else out there, you could just go, you know, animals three. But the thing is, with the Disney set and the Marvel set, all of the stuff is just kind of almost too specific.
0: Right. There are pictures of, from the movies or there are pictures of the superheroes taken straight from the comic books, it looks. And you know, if you flip over the, uh, the Marvel ones, it's got the words on the back. So it explains what they are. I don't remember if it does on the Disney one or not. It does. Um, and so you could flip them over and play just the word size, but I'm not necessarily sure that that, that would be more like a trivia game, I think. Yeah. And,
1: and I, I feel like that's part of the problem maybe with this is that, you would have to know so much about, like, every single character of an entire franchise. Yes. To really be able to play, like, the actual codename stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a sort of, um, barred gateway, kind of, just because you have to have all of this extra outside knowledge to really enjoy them the same way. And
0: some of the Marvel ones. Yeah, it's. It's like a team or a group of people. So, you might be able to say X-Men, and it, people would know, oh, these are all the guys who appeared in that X-Men comic book, or, you know, I tried Firebending, because there were, you know, fire and lightning characters on the board on my team, but apparently all the people on my team forgot that Firebenders, if they were really good, could do lightning. Uh, and I lost that game, because they didn't know their Avatar The Last Airbender stuff. <laughs> so sad. Uh But... The uh, the the Disney ones have, like from all the eras of Disney animated features, and and some stuff I didn't even know was Disney, um, but maybe stuff they purchased or, or who knows? Um, yeah, you just you just have to either know nothing or know too much about them. I think.
1: Oh my goodness! Does that mean we could take our Marvel set and mix it with the Disney set, and it would still be the Disney set?
0: You're a bad person. You are a bad person. <laughs> Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, as much as I found these uh, disappointing, we broke out the Disney set and put it over here, and the kids played it, and they seemed to enjoy it. They didn't have any concerns or complaints about it, and it may be because they are more versed with Disney, or, like I said, significantly less versed than, D- than Disney, because I think the abstract nature of the original pictures from Codenames Pictures or of the words from normal Codenames all sort of work better. Mm-hmm. However, frequently when when our patrons... Like a game, they want to play it over and over and over again, right? They played this one a couple of times that day, and then I, I set it aside so they couldn't see it. Just saying, if they ask for it, I'll know they liked it. They never asked for it again. So, for me, I'm gonna say that unless you are part of a group where you've got a big comics thing, or you've got a real reason to do either a Disney or a, uh, a Marvel version, that you should pretty much avoid these like the plague. But, you know, once again, your circumstances may override that. So, for me, they're red lights. I don't want to play them. I kind of wish I didn't pay my own money to have them in my collection, um, my personal collection. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think that the struggle was real because I was there watching them play and they struggled with it. Uh, did they? <laughs> they did. Um, just because they had a hard time making connections between things. So... I think it's a red light for me, just because it's one of those cases where it's like, if we would buy, you know, a Disney one, we may as well just kind of buy just general Codenames one, you know?
0: Right, right, right. But on the other hand...
1: Because it's more accessible.
0: Yeah. Unless you've got an event that's going on with it. So, I mean, maybe for the whole, hey, we've got the Infinity War stuff coming out.
1: Right. Or or if you're like, kids at that branch are just that, like excited about that thing Then maybe but
0: i think we've given these games far more time and thought than they deserve uh all of our musings too much
1: wait did you say muse
0: i did (gasps) i love that one i guess we're moving to a new game then
1: yes let's do that let's Uh move to muse
0: all right so what is muse
1: muse is a lot like dixit basically what happens is you have these big beautiful pretty cards And you also have these tiny cards. And the tiny cards, they have these constraints on them, such as name a non-fictional person or make a gesture. And you pick one of those cards, and then you're going to have a hand of six of the big pretty cards, and you're going to pick one of those two, and you're going to hand those to the other team. And it's going to be the job of the other team to actually name whatever's on the card in such a way so that their team will pick that card out of a crowd, basically.
0: It really kind of feels like a cross between Codenames and Dixit.
1: It it really is. And i it's just so much fun to play, and it's so interesting to see what people will come up with to get you to guess certain cards. And you don't actually see what the other cards they're going to pick from are.
0: Right, so... Um, say Stephanie's the muse for, for one of the teams, and I'm on the other team. And what I'm going to do is I grab a handful of six cards, and I grab a couple of clues, types. I pick one of the clue types. I said, oh, she's going to have to name a non-fictional fruit. And then I will pick one of the cards, and I will hand it to her. And once she has given her clue...
1: So I could say watermelon.
0: Right. She could say watermelon. And then I can... Take her card back, shuffle it into them and give them to her and she will lay them all out. Uh, and then her team is going to have to pick the, the clue that was inspired or the card that was inspired by the clue she gave.
1: Right. And it could be that there was a ball on the card that I got that had like these sort of greenish lines on it that made me think of a watermelon. And then it'll turn out that there's like one with a picnic on it that has an actual watermelon on it.
0: Right. And so, first of all, the art is beautiful. Second of all, the play is a lot of fun. Um, and third, it makes you think. So, uh, it doesn't fit our computational thinking exercise too much at this point uh, the, for the rest of the theme we've had for the episode. But uh, I've enjoyed Muse a great deal. Um, what, do you have any other thoughts on it?
1: Uh, it's fantastic. It would be a great circulatable game.
0: It would be, yes. And so, it's, it certainly fits that. As it's great for use either... You know, in the library or in the school because if a card gets damaged, you can remove it. Heck, if a card gets kind of damaged, you can put it on the wall because it's beautiful art. Pretty much. And then the game is still playable with you could theoretically lose a third of the cards in this game and still play it. You could actually take this box and play two groups of people at the same time because you're not going to get through all the cards at once. It could be like, oh, your discard set is going to go to the other table and vice versa. And the clues, vice, you know. Once again, you could do that. So Ooh,
1: we should do that at Sheshkon.
0: This game is playable by multiple groups of people. You could do three teams at the table because that'll speed things up. Where it's like, oh, I'm drawing what your next clue is going to be, and I'm going to be thinking about which cards to give you. Um, and there's just so much that you can do with Muse that uh, I I really like it. I'm glad they sent me a copy. Um, the I can't decide if I'm going to actually keep it myself. Yeah, I'm going to keep it myself. Who am I kidding? But, it's um, too pretty. It's too pretty. And I do wish that they had posters of some of the art, or even eight and a half by 11s of some of the arts so that we could print them off and put them up in the room. That'd be nice. The muse is green light for me. Green light. Alright, and it looks like because of all the frost and freeze that's going on, they're going to kick us out of the library early today. So, we should wrap this up. I'm Donald Dennis.
1: And I'm Stephen Fry.
0: And you can find out more about the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by going over to InverseGenius.com and find out more about us, the people who create the show, and uh, and check out our other shows like Onboard Games, On Miniatures Games, On RPGs, and The Room Escape Divas. The Games in Schools and Libraries podcast is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. Once again, send us your questions, comments, or smart ideas at ddennis at gtcounty.org Or send your blog ideas to
1: S-F-R-E-Y at gtcounty.org
0: Thank you for listening. Oh boy, oh boy. It's almost time for the con. I can't wait to do these escape rooms, play the role-playing games, the board games, show off all these cool new coding games. Shush! Yeah, that's the one.
1: No, shush! We're in a library, sir.
0: We most certainly are. It's ShushCon, a games and geekery convention held in Polly's Island, South Carolina at the Walker Monarch Branch Library, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th. It's the best value for gaming in the Carolinas.
1: We'll have the new board game hotness, you know,
0: the good stuff. Classic and indie RPGs, so we'll have Dread, Call of Cthulhu, Trailer Cthulhu, Paranoia, Savage Worlds, and Dread.
1: Organized play events like D&D, Pathfinder Society, and Shadowrun
0: as well as War Machine Hordes, Iron Arena, and Steamroller events.
1: Video games like the Jackbox Party Pack, Artemis, Overwatch Land Party,
0: and a Hearthstone Fireside Gathering.
1: We're a tavern! Woohoo!
0: And we're going to have escape room games and custom-made escape rooms.
1: We'll also be hosting a magic draft.
0: And in the finest tradition of Khan, we will have a tea party and tea tasting. So we'll have a variety of tasty teas for you to taste and tickle your tonsils.
1: Taste tea?
0: Oh. We will also record segments for on-board games, on-RPGs, and the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. So you could be on air if you show up here. We're also going to host our librarian trade day again, but this time we're going to be talking about coding and coding activities for libraries. So if you're a librarian, show up, we're going to focus on coding to play and playing with code. That's March 23rd, starting at 10 a.m. and going until 1 p.m. on that Friday where we're just going to break out the code and show you how you can bring code into your library in the geekiest way possible. And then, of course, you can stay and play games, games, games. And that's part of the library's ready-to-code grant that we just received.
1: Look, that's all good and well, but this is a library. I need you to take it down a couple notches.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, So ShushCon, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th, Polly's Island, South Carolina, best value in gaming for all the Carolinas. Because it's free. Join us and have fun. Shush. No. Shush, Khan.